0: Man, that's some good stuff. That is some good stuff. It's one of my favorite, favorite worship songs. I've loved that song for many, many, many years. Because in the midst of our storms, Christ is our cornerstone. He is our guide. He is our anchor. He is our lighthouse. Uh, He's just good. Amen? He's just good. Uh, If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, or you can use one of our Pew Bibles or Pull out your phone. The uh, Uversion Bible app is fantastic. Uh, It's one. It's what I use almost daily. Uh, But we'll be in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter six. We are going to kind of wrap up uh, chapter six today. Uh, We're not going to read the rest of it, uh, but we're certainly going to hit kind of how it ends and what Jesus and John is trying to show us. Uh, When we started John chapter six, I told you that it's really one unit. And the kind of the idea behind the unit is that Jesus is greater than Moses. At the end of chapter 5, there was that conversation. And as we've gone through chapter 6, we've seen these uh, echoes of Exodus. The, uh, how the manna fell from heaven, which we'll talk a good bit about today. How the Israelites crossed over uh, the Red Sea on dry land. And how the echoes of last week where Jesus walks on the water... Uh, was echoes of that, two very rememberable miracles, which lead to this uh, sermon, uh, which is kind of in the form of a dialogue uh, to wrap up uh, chapter 6, and we're going to see the really first official I am statement. When we started the Gospel of John, I told you it was really built around seven miracles and seven statements that Jesus says, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. We're going to get the first one of those major I am statements today. Uh, Some would say it's the second one because you also, as you go through this dialogue, it's going to sound somewhat familiar. It's a lot like the woman at the well dialogue. Uh, And although Jesus doesn't just come out and say, I am living water in those words, he says, I am living water. As he talks to the woman at Jacob's well. So just to set the scene for you, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's walked on water that night and it's now morning. The sun is now coming up. The Israelite people, some of them went home. Some of them stayed and camped out uh, on the uh, hill where they had fed the 5,000. So they're waking up. They grab their tablet and they see that hashtag fed the 5,000 is trending They grab their tablet. See what I did there? That's because it's it's Bible times, they have tablets. Anyway. If you got to explain the joke, it didn't work. So (laughs) we'll just throw that one away. So they wake up uh, after a great night's sleep. Their bellies had been full. They're all kind of murmuring. It's like, hey, you remember yesterday? That was some good tuna fish or some sardines, really. Remember that biscuit? Oh. Now what happens when you wake up first thing in the morning? You're hungry, so they're waking up and they're hungry, and so they're looking around it's like, "Well, where's Jesus? We saw the disciples leave. We didn't see Jesus leave. Where's Jesus?" And so they begin to look for him. They're all running around it's like, "We have got to find Jesus. I'm hungry. He makes the best eggs and bacon. You know, he, they got to find him." And so some boats come and they take him across the sea, and there they find Jesus, and they just say, "Hey, how did you get here?" Now, we're still talking about a fairly large crowd of people. And so if you look in verse 26, and what I want to do, I just want to walk through it today, kind of break it down in this conversation. Uh, it's a little bit different. Usually there's an outline and points, but I just want us to walk through this conversation uh, because it's very impactful. Uh, and I will tell you this up front. It's a challenging text. Uh, not in how it's broke down or how it's written, but it's a challenge for the readers because the application is massive. And you'll see that at the end of chapter 6 as to what happens because of this. So starting in verse 26, a crowd of people have showed up. They're like, hey Jesus, how did you get here? We're we love you. Here's what Jesus starts out with. He goes, truly, which is remember, truly, is hey, pay attention. This is important. Lean into what I'm saying. Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the sign. But because you ate the loaves and were filled, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on you. Then verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? So this is kind of the first interaction, the first dialogue. And Jesus doesn't answer their initial question. What he says is, you are here. You are looking for me, not because you want to follow me. Not even because you saw the miracle. You're here because you want the eggs and bacon. You're here because you want to consume something that I am going to give you. Jesus is calling out this crowd of people because they are materialistically motivated. They're materialistically motivated. They don't want what Jesus is really giving them, which is eternal life. They want their bellies to be full. They want to consume the miracles. What they are, are they are people who are seeking satisfaction through signs. They are seeking satisfaction through miracles. They want their life to be better. They want their life to be... Uh, comfortable they want Jesus just to hand them everything now Jesus has been doing these miracles and and remember the miracles are to prove that Jesus is who he says he is but the people are missing the point they're so materialistically driven if you go back to the kind of the feeding of the 5,000 they wanted to take Jesus and make him a king they wanted to make Jesus something he was never intended to be they wanted it their way They wanted to be satisfied their way. They were consumers of Jesus, materialistically motivated. And Jesus says, hey, look, stop working for food that perishes. And and, and this makes sense, because we all have to go to work, okay? Or we've worked at some point in our life. We use the money we get from work, and we go buy food. It's just how the world works. You have to work a lot harder today to get more money to go buy really expensive food, but that's it. That's what it is. But have you ever noticed, if you have been in church for any length of time, you understand a very important concept. Food perishes. Like, you know, there's that ketchup bottle in the back of every church refrigerator. It's been there since the Hoover administration. Okay? It perishes. Uh, You you can go to the grocery store and, and you buy the healthy fruit at least at my house, it kind of gets shoved to the back of the refrigerator where nobody can really see it until it's furry, right? (laughs) Food perishes. Food perishes. And so the bread and, and the food that they really want, all that, and they've worked so hard for it. Well, actually they haven't. They just showed up and Jesus is there to give it to them. But what he says is stop working for perishable things. Now, just for the record, he's not telling them to be lazy, He's not discouraging getting a job. He has transitioned from a materialistic thinking to a spiritual thinking. Again, he did this with the woman at the well, remember? She wanted water. And he transitioned from the physical need, because we all get thirsty, to a spiritual need. He says, stop working for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And then their question, how do we perform this work of God? So even in their mind, they're trying to work for this everlasting bread. Again, woman at the well, what do I need to do? There's this idea that we have that we have to work for our salvation. We have to work uh, to, to get the things that Jesus gives us. So in the minds of the crowd, they're like, well, we came for a free breakfast, but... If we got to work for it, we'll work for it. Because you've got the best food of anybody. So tell us what we have to do. So that's the first interaction. The second interaction, Jesus begins to explain this. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. Now listen, because this is all building up to like the, the big you know, fireworks. They don't have to work for it. What Jesus is now offering this crowd, God has done the work. God is the one who is doing and has done and provided a pathway to eternal life. First and foremost, God has worked through his son, Jesus, to reveal the word, to reveal the truth. He's going to work through his son when he's hanging on a cross as a substitute for you and me and these people for the forgiveness of sin. God is going to work first. In fact, we talked about at the very beginning of John, there's this, there's this pattern of salvation that we see. You know, it always starts with God moves first. God has to work. You and I would naturally choose to follow. We would, never natu- we would not naturally follow God on our own. We are just so naturally sinful that if, if there was no Bible... If there was no special revelation, we would not choose God. God has to work first. And he has worked through giving us his word. He has worked through Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. He's worked through Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. God always works first. You are here today because God has worked in your heart to draw you here. I know because I woke up at 4.30 or 5 and heard the rain. And as soon as it stopped, I wanted to go back to sleep. And I did. But then again, it it rained all morning. You just want to pull those covers up. But something in you, whether you admit it or not, it's like, man, I'm going to go to church today. That's the work of God in your life. The second part of that step is uh, once God works, we begin to investigate. We have an initial response. We're like, oh, so this crowd has seen God work through the miracles, the signs, the Sermon on the Mount, all these different things. Their initial response is to just keep following. To keep seeking. Their initial response is to keep consuming. And then over time, the word penetrates into our hearts and we make a decision to follow Jesus. We make a decision to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. There's a lot of people who follow Jesus who've never made Jesus the Lord of their life. Do you know that? They come to church every Sunday. He's like, oh, I follow Jesus. Really? How do you live your life? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, Saturday. You've never made him Lord of your life. The people here are at the point where they're investigating. They've had the initial response and now in this passage, Jesus is calling them to make a decision. Surrender your life to me. Believe in me. God's done the work. Now it's your time to choose. It's your time to understand who I am. It's your time to understand what you are really following. And he says, all you have to do, the only thing you have to do is believe. That's it. That's all they have to do is believe. To believe in Jesus, believe in God. Now, I love what happens next. Remember, he just fed 5,000 less than 24 hours ago. Here is the response in verse 30. What sign are you going to do for us so that we may believe in you? I'm going to read that again so you get the full effect of what they're saying. Now, I'm not being critical because I think we're like this too. And I'll explain that in a minute. He says, what sign are you going to do so that we may believe in you? And I think Peter's like, we fed, he fed 5,000 yesterday, right? Andrew's over there like, or Philip's over there like, "Uh, I couldn't find a restaurant for 5,000 people, but this little boy had some fish and some bread. And Jesus did really, what sign? That's what they say, what sign? And then they they explain themselves. He goes, what are you going to perform? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. And so just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. First thing I wanna see is, yes, I'm gonna make fun of them a little bit. And yes, we're gonna be critical of them because they had just, have you ever seen somebody feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable? No, they did, and now they're asking for a sign. Have you ever seen somebody heal somebody and say, hey, you're paralyzed, now you can walk? They did, and they're asking for a sign. But here's what I want to point out to you. We're not much different. Many of us live our life doing the same thing. It's like, God, I just need you to show me a sign. I've got this huge decision to make in my life. I just need you to show me a sign. Or I would love to follow you. I would love to surrender my life to you, but I need you to show me a sign. And we miss the fact that he's been giving us signs our whole life. Maybe not as big as 5,000. But God has worked in everybody's here's life in big ways and small ways. And yet we still overlook it. We're still sitting there going, I need a sign. So don't be too critical of them. Because we do it too. But their problem, or what they're doing, is they're trying to compare Jesus to Moses. For they have this fixation on how great Moses is. You know, Moses gave us manna. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 16. They just wake up one morning and there's these white flaky biscuit things on the ground and they're like manna, which means what is it? And can you imagine how this plays out? Hey, Tabitha, go see what's on the ground. It might be food. She comes out, she goes, yeah, there's these white things. What is it? (laughs) That's what the word manna means. You know, what is it? And so they ate it. And they're like, oh, Moses is so great. Moses gave us manna. What are you going to give us, Jesus? What you gonna, fried Oreos? What you got? Yeah, right? What you got? Show us a sign like Moses did. Because Moses was the man. By the way, the manna perished. Did you know that? They couldn't store it. It was only good for a day. In fact, the one guy who tried to store it, it mildewed and molded, Okay so that even the manna that Moses gave perished. But what Jesus corrects them, he says, truly I tell you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. It was not the work of Moses, but my father. My father provided the manna, and today my father provides you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Naturally, they say, sir, give us this bread. Remember the woman, sir, give me this water. Give us this bread. Now, pay attention. Here it is. Crowd's quiet. They're waiting for breakfast. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Give me the bread. Jesus says, I'm right here. I'm the bread of life. No one one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Now this is spiritually speaking. Don't lose that. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Living water, bread of life. But as I told you, you've seen me and you do not believe me. You've seen me and you do not believe me. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. Again, this is the work of God. This is God working first. Everyone who the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is doing the will of the Father. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son of Man, come and see, everyone who sees the Son of Man, believes in him, will have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Now that is a loaded passage. Just a few things I want to point out to you. If you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that God has sent me. Listen, that's why we believe once saved, always saved. Once you surrender your life to the Lord, you're the Lord's. And you're like, well, you don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I did over the weekend. Listen, we all make mistakes. We're all sinful. But if we belong to the Lord, truly belong to the Lord, then he's not going to abandon us. If we've made that choice, if we've been drawn into the presence of Jesus and we've decided to respond and confess him and surrender to him and believe in him, then our eternal life is secured, guaranteed, there's no questions about it. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, what about the guys who, these popular pastors or popular musicians who have recently said they're no longer Christians? Well, I would say they probably never were Christians. Now, I'm not being judgmental. But true Christianity is lasting. You don't just walk away from it. You grow, you mature, you don't stay the same. But people who just say, ah, I'm not a Christian anymore, I'm walking away. Well, you really never were a part of it. That's a hard truth, but that's a truth. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Stop thinking about materialistic. Stop being motivated by the material. Be motivated by the spiritual And if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be satisfied forever, you got to follow me. You got to surrender your life to me. Now, this has been a pretty hard thing for a group of people to hear. It's been a very unpopular thing for a lot of the Jews in the audience to hear. Like, how do you know that? Look at verse 41. Therefore, the Jews started complaining. Because he said, I am the bread of life. Jesus will go through in the following verses, he'll kind of re-explain, reiterate, rephrase, focusing that he is the bread of life, believe in me, and they just keep complaining and grumbling, complaining and grumbling. Why? Because they're consumers. They're consumers. They don't want the spiritual truth. They don't want truth. They want their physical needs met. I mean, there's a lot in here to read. The story kind of continues. There's some conversations. Jesus continues to plead, he continues to explain. It's very hard for people to understand, it's very hard for people to hear. But look at verse 66. Again, they complained, they're grumbling, they're not accepting. This crowd of people, verse 66, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him, no longer followed him. Now now, now listen, Jesus had like the biggest mega church ever in history. And he was meeting needs, he was doing miracles, and then he poured the truth into their hearts. And he lost most of them. The consumers left. They're like, we didn't sign up for this. It's not what we want. (laughs) We don't want a Savior who's going to put our feet to the fire. Churches don't want pastors who hold their congregation's feet to the fire. Sometimes pastors don't want congregations to hold their feet to the fire. It's hard. They're consumers. They wanted it this way. They wanted it their way. And they didn't get it they left now before you get really critical on them you've got to ask a question of yourself why are you here today why do you come to church why do you follow jesus are you a consumer of what he is offering you the good stuff or are you a true christian you're like what does that look like well if you come to church demanding to get your way all the time if you're unhappy with the way things go, well, that's probably consumer. And I'm not talking about if it's unbiblical, hey, call out the unbiblical. But if you're just not happy with, oh, the pew's just not comfortable enough. Oh, I wish we had stadium seats. I wish I had a place for my coffee. We should, I'm just kidding, it's a joke. Yeah. But if that's your mindset, maybe you're a consumer and not a follower. Maybe you're a materialistic man. Maybe, because this is what divides churches the most. It's about music, right? This is hard to hear sometimes for a lot of people. It's like, ah, I didn't like that music. That's not what I wanted to hear today. That's not my preference. It's not my style. Maybe you're a consumer. Maybe you're here to have your needs met instead of letting Jesus use you and transform you. Any age... Any, whatever it is, me, your pastor, we all need to ask that question. Are we consumers or are we followers? And when we hear things, when we hear Jesus say, hey, there's a cost. You gotta follow me. You gotta do what I say. You gotta do it my way. It's my way, it's my world. God would say, it's my world, you do things my way. Many people turned away. He went, I mean, there's still a large crowd of people. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the crowd left. I've always asked the question, you know, Jesus walks into Jerusalem, there's people throwing down their coats and palm branches. So many people love him on Good Friday, not Good Friday, Palm Sunday. They change by Thursday, don't they? The crowd's no longer Hosanna, it's crucifying. Because they were consumers. They weren't followers. Are we consumers or are we followers? Do we want it our way or do we want it God's way? In contrast, after this, I think verse 67. And I mean, I think this is emotional. Jesus would have known what was going to happen. He's all knowing. But listen, I think this is emotional. And I think as Jesus is standing there, he just, he just dropped the gospel. He goes, I came to save you. I came to forgive you of your sins. Follow me, surrender to me. And now he's watching them leave. I know he's got tears in his eyes because the Bible tells us it is God's desire that no one would perish. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. God doesn't want any of us to be lost. God doesn't want any of us to walk away. He wants all of us. And here they are walking away. I think with these just big crocodile tears in his eyes he looks in verse 67 to the 12 who are with him he says you don't want to go away too. Do you? You See that? Do you hear the passion? The, the 12 guys, five of whom he called very, very, very early in ministry. We saw it in the first chapter of John, second chapter of John. He looks at them. He says, y'all don't want to go away, do? You don't want to go away also, do you? And look, here's the response of a follower. Here's the response of a Christian, not a consumer. Peter answered, Lord, to whom... Will we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Consumers left. Christians confess we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the confession of salvation. That is the confession that all sinners need to make. And in verse 70, Jesus replied, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Again, some foreshadowing of Judas. He is referring to Judas Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So, sermon for another day in verse 70, but it's interesting that even the one who's going to betray sticks around for a little longer. But for the other 11, they came to believe and know that he is the Holy One of God. So here's really the question for us to wrestle with this morning, this week, for all of our life. Are we following Jesus to consume the good? Or are we following Jesus as those who have surrendered everything? Everything. 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 Have we confessed that we believe and know that he is the Holy One of God? Because when we make that confession, now listen, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? What else are we going to do but follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you are the bread of life. That you provide nourishment. You provide satisfaction, and you provide salvation to those who will confess you as Lord. That for those who will believe in our hearts and confess you with your mouth, and then follow you, follow you through good times, follow you through bad times. Father, our hearts in the culture we live in, our hearts are sinful. From time to time, we're all sinful, and we are consumers. It's the culture we live in. But Father, help us to break the barriers of consumerism and truly follow you. Help us to seek your will and your ways, even when it costs us something, even when it's hard and uncomfortable. Father, I pray that we wouldn't turn away, but that we would come to the only place and the only person we can come to. And that's you. Help us to live our lives as followers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.